Welcome to the College Park Church of Christ Sermon Series Podcast. This sermon was recorded at the College Park Church of Christ in the Conroe Porter area. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks for studying the Word of God with us. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to see you here. Uh, As you know, we've been going through a study on a better body, something like 16 weeks to a better body or something like that. Um, I've been assigned the topic of resistance training and the, the idea being iron sharpening iron. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And so in our Christian life, just like in some sort of physical training, there are times when you need to be challenged, you need to be pushed harder, because someday you're going to need to lift a weight. Someday you're going to need to overcome an obstacle, and it's necessary that you undergo the training it takes to be able to get there. So just to define terms in case you're unfamiliar with what resistance training is, resistance training is a form of exercise intended to increase muscular strength and endurance. It involves uh, exercising muscles using some form of resistance. This resistance could be weights, bands, or even your own body weight working against gravity. So the idea is it's a lot easier to move my hands in front of me like this than if I laid on my back and picked up weights or got on the ground and did push-ups, right? Any sort of resistance is going to then tell my body, oh, you need to grow bigger and stronger because now I'm being put under greater weight, and you have to give it the stimulus to do that. Well, when we're talking about a church body in a similar manner, there are times within the church that it is necessary to be spiritually challenged, to push back on incorrect biblical teaching, and to resist sin. The whole Christian life is not meant to be a walk in the park, right? It's a run. It's a marathon. And in this case, we may liken it more to like a mud run or something like that to where it's really not just an easy run the whole time. Sometimes there's obstacles. Sometimes you have to jump high and sprint and all of those various things. Mario talked about the importance of endurance and lasting the race. But along that race, we're going to hit some tough times. We're going to hit some challenges. And we need to be people that are training for that day. So our physical body, resistance gives the body the stimulus needed to grow stronger and lift heavier weight in the future. But when we're talking about a church body, a willingness to test and train our own held beliefs and character will allow us to grow in knowledge and application of Scripture, equipping the church to effectively endure heavier attacks by Satan. And I use the word heavier on purpose. We have day-to-day challenges that we go through, and those will never go away. But it starts with building character and constantly challenging yourself to be able to have the self-control and discipline to fight those small battles so that as a group of people, we can push ourselves to be able to handle even tougher challenges as they come. So... Through my work life, I guess you could describe a lot of what I've done as sales or marketing uh, in in different companies, and and I like to think about it in this way. We want to find a problem, and then we want to find a way to solve it, and then you can monetize that, right? Well, I'm not necessarily wanting to make any money off of you guys this morning, but I do want to convince you that there's a problem that needs to be fixed. I think the problem is we get dull. When Proverbs 17 talks about iron sharpening iron, I don't think this is just two blocks of iron meant to do nothing. This is referring to a sword, a knife, something that you need in times of battle. And if you let it get dull and it's never sharpened, then you're not ready when that time comes. 2 Peter 3.17 says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. 
Even in the church, we can fall away. We have the ability to make decisions. We have free will. And it's possible to let your heart turn away from your God. The same God that we talked about this morning that sacrificed everything, gave his life for you. Even knowing that, it's possible to turn your back. And we have to have a group of people who are holding us accountable through life so that we never walk away from that. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, we'll reference Jeremiah a few times this morning, but it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, there's kind of this uh, New Age philosophy that, uh, that we talk about, which is you look within yourself for answers. You prioritize yourself. You follow your own heart. And while somewhat I understand the thinking, the heart is very deceitful. If you live your life following what you want to do, and you're not held accountable to a higher standard than that by people around you and by yourself and by your God, you will be led astray. The heart will lead you into all kinds of problems. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 10 Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. And pay attention to this. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. If you are alone when those times of trial come, when you fall short, and nobody's there to pick you up, that's not a position that we want to be in. And so I hope I've expressed that there's a problem that can be solved by a friend. In Proverbs uh, 27, and I think I said 17 earlier, my apologies, but Proverbs 27, back up to verse 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, I think about uh, any sort of uh, martial art, any sort of uh, combat sport. What do you have to do constantly? You have to spar. Somebody's got to hit you. You have to get punched a few times because you have to know how to react in those situations. And unless you're just a total hothead, you're not really going to get mad at the guy you're sparring with for hitting you. That's his job. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. He's preparing you because there's a real fight coming up, right? And we want to be around people who are willing to say the hard things, push us in the hard ways, more than people who just give lip service. And then as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Have your sword ready because... Life is full of battles, full of challenges. So I want to break this up into basically three different uh, areas this morning. And I want, you, I want us all to understand that this is essentially priority order. Because way before we can ever get to correcting other people, we have to look within ourselves. And we're taught that time and time again in Scripture. So I want to talk about embracing challenge in your everyday life, striving to grow, and that starts with daily discipline. I want to talk about accepting admonishment. Admonishment is, is essentially a warning from, uh, from a friend, hopefully. And that could be in our knowledge, and when I say spirit, I'm not necessarily meaning your spiritual being as much as what David prays for, that he wants a right spirit. We want to walk through life with a certain spirit about us. And the heart is deceitful and can take us away from the right spirit. And then ultimately our actions. And then once we are humble enough to accept correction and to look within ourselves, then we can worry about holding each other accountable as well. And we'll define some of these terms as we go. 
So let's talk about embracing challenges. Another scripture out of Jeremiah 12. Jeremiah is a very interesting book. Um, and Jeremiah 12 is a very interesting chapter. Israel is about to be overrun, or they are being overrun by Babylon. They've turned their heart away from God. They've turned to idolatry. And Jeremiah has warned them time and time again, you have to turn back to your God. He's going to send your enemies upon you, and they will overrun you. And then finally, they hit this spot where their sword was not ready. They turned away from their God. They were unprepared spiritually and physically for the battle. And then in verse 5, it says, If you have run with infantrymen and they have tired you out, how can you compete with horses? They were getting overrun before the entire army showed up. The foot soldiers showed up, and they were tired. They were not prepared for battle. I would say in their case, unlike maybe military situations we think about, this was a very spiritually led battle as well. They turned their heart on God. That's why I think it's so applicable to us. How can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket by the Jordan? We have to be able to daily discipline ourselves. And when I say discipline, I'm not necessarily meaning correction like we think of disciplining a a pet, but discipline is in self-control. We have to be able to practice that daily in a way that when the harder things come, we're prepared for it. 1 Corinthians 9 is the first scripture that comes to mind. Paul is uh, speaking to the Corinthians who'd be very um, familiar with the idea of Olympic games, Olympic sports. He said, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So they do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting air. He's not shadow boxing. But I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Every day for Paul, spiritually speaking, was a discipline practice. He didn't want to be a slave to anything of the world. He didn't want to be a slave to anything but Christ. In fact, he wanted to make his body his servant. And if you practice that kind of discipline, that you don't just do what the body wants to do, but you tell your body what to do, that creates a discipline, a self-control that carries into other aspects of your life. I believe this is part of why there's instruction in, in the New Testament about fasting and taking times to fast, to put your body under subjection so that you are in control. Ultimately, God is in control, and I want to make that distinction when we say self-control, but that you are bringing your body under subjection so that it is not controlling you. I think that's very, very, very important. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul makes comparisons of the Christian life to basically three things. The life of a soldier, the life of an athlete, and the life of a farmer. And let's read that. It says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him. And if anyone likewise competes as an athlete, he is not crowned as victor unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be uh, the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So first, a soldier. One of the staple things about military life is that it's supposed to be hard, and it's hard on purpose. It's hard when it doesn't have to be hard. When you're at home and you're not at battle, guess what? You make your life hard because you don't want to be unfamiliar with that feeling when the time comes. That's why you spend time, in, in our military, you spend time on the shooting range. 
You spend time on the shooting range after a workout so that you're used to shooting with your heart rate up and all of those sorts of things because when the time comes and the adrenaline's pumping, you need to be able to perform. And Paul uses the example of a soldier and says he doesn't get tied up in silly stuff of the world. He has a mission. He has a focus. And every day he's trying to please his commanding officer, let's say. Then he uses the athlete. The athlete doesn't succeed in whatever sport he's involved in unless he follows the rule book. If you show up to a competition and you're using banned substances, then you don't get a medal. If you show up to a competition, if I show up to basketball and I start to kick it around, which is something I would do, you're not going to win the game of basketball. You have to play by the rules. And in a similar way, God has given us a rule book. God has given us guidelines. And he's given us a family to hold us accountable. And if we're not willing to work within the framework that God has built for us as Christians, then what are we doing? We're not playing the right game. And then he uses the farmer. You reap what you sow, that concept. And that if you sow good things, you should enjoy the blessings of that. In our Christian life, it is a, what I want you to notice about these three things is those are careers. These are not side projects for people, but that soldier is a soldier 24-7. That's his priority. That athlete trains daily because he knows that the games are coming. That farmer sows because he knows there will be time for a harvest. And daily, we have to embrace the challenge that's put before us in Christianity, to constantly bring our body under subjection, bring our mind and our souls, our eyes under subjection so we can be more pleasing to God and then be more useful to our brothers and sisters. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. If we think about being a living sacrifice, then we're not tangled up in things of the world like we just read. We're focused on our sacrifice to God each and every day. Matthew 18, 9, Jesus says something wild, which is if you have a problem with, well, I'll just read it. And if your eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. Hold on. Is Jesus saying that Christians have to tear their eyes out? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. But he goes on, says, It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fiery hell. That we have to understand the eternal consequences of what we're doing and go to whatever length it takes to put our body under subjection and live a life that is pleasing to God. I'd be willing to say 99% of the time that doesn't include gouging your eye out. Let's talk about accepting admonishment. Proverbs 10, 17 says, One who is uh, on the path of life follows instruction, but one who ignores a rebuke goes astray. We've talked about this. It's possible to lose your steadfastness. It's possible to walk away. And if we're not willing to listen to instruction, if we ignore rebuke when we're in the wrong, that's just a recipe for being driven away. There's a few different aspects of, of, of life. I think of Proverbs 12, which says, One who loves discipline 
loves knowledge. And this discipline specifically is correction, right? Loves knowledge, but one who hates rebuke is just silly, all right? You have to be willing to understand that you don't know everything. Discipline is important. And I think contextually, this type of discipline is talking about correcting your knowledge, right? Because if you listen to that discipline, then you love knowledge. If we want to be studied in Scripture, if we want to have a close relationship with God and His Word and, what we, and that, that playbook that we talked about for this race that we're running, we have to love discipline. Acts 18 is a very interesting example. We'll read a little bit from 19 as well. But Paul came across a man named Apollos. And Apollos was just basically wrong in what he was teaching. He didn't have the latest uh, update, if you will. He was still preaching the baptism of John, not the baptism uh, of Christ and the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 18, beginning in 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was proficient in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was accurately speaking and teaching things about Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began speaking boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately to him. So what, what I think is interesting about this passage is it never once necessarily says that Apollo's heart was in the wrong. Apollos was just ignorant. He just didn't know. And it took Christian people coming up to him and saying, hey, there's been an update. We're baptizing in the Holy Spirit. And we read more about that in, in Acts chapter 19. Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, on the contrary, we've not even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. So Apollos, presumably, and these disciples, their reaction to hearing, oh, we've been preaching the wrong baptism because Jesus has come, the gospel is, is here, it's been fulfilled, there's a new law, what was their reaction? They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm sure there was a lot more conversation that Acts 19 couldn't get into, but ultimately, what was their reaction? They pivoted. They said, we're in the wrong. And if we have a heart to do what's right and a heart to follow God, a heart to, to be daily disciplined, then hopefully that will be our reaction as well. In Psalm 51.10, we, we referred to this earlier, it says, Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. There's times when, in life, when th things just eat at you, and your spirit's not right. Maybe your focus isn't right. And I think one of the great things about being a part of a church body is that your spirit can be restored. In Mark 4, 18-19, Jesus is warning against the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. The word, our knowledge, if we learn all about Scripture, but then we get caught up in the world, whether it's wealth building or bodybuilding or whatever you want to throw in that category, things that distract you, fleshly, earthly things, if that consumes you more than the word consumes you and more than God and, and the right spirit consumes you, 
then it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. Just like we're told to sharpen our iron and be ready for battle, the word of God is referred to as a sword. The word of God is powerful and it can change lives. But if you refuse to let it change your life, there's no fruit in that. There's no fruit of that Holy Spirit. And what we want to go after is a spirit that's aligned with God's to where you can see that love, joy, peace, long-suffering in our lives. In Colossians 3, we read of an example of a way that our spirit can be built up by each other. Starting in, in verse 12, it says, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 14, In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you are indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So I just want us to think back to worship services that we've sat in. Can amazing grace admonish you? Well, to some of us, that's a really old and slow song that we've heard a hundred times. But if you're willing to listen to those words, can it teach you? Can we encourage and build each other up and even warn each other about the state of our spirit through singing Amazing Grace? And I would say yes. Can you sing modern worship songs and build people up? I would say yes. Can someone who's not in the right spirit look across the pew and see the passion and the worship in their brother's eyes and be convicted by that? I would say yes. When we come together, it's not just to form a social club. It's because we have a God we're serving. And that each time we come and we see the passion in the brothers and sisters around us, that it convicts us when our spirit is not right. But that only happens when you're willing to show up and listen to the words and be with your brothers and sisters. That doesn't happen alone. And at the end of the day, when I'm reading that passage, I, I read of a cycle. Because it starts, we'll go back with kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, peace. We're one body. And when we show up with that attitude, what does it do? It admonishes others. So those who are not in the right spirit, guess what it can... I'm pointing to the back. Y'all aren't looking over there. It's admonishing others. And when I'm admonished and I'm warned because my spirit is not in the right place, if I have a repentant heart, what do I then do? I then show up and I show compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience when I'm with my brothers and sisters. It is a cycle. Just as much as it can be a positive cycle, it can also be a negative. And we need to be careful of that because our job is to admonish each other, but we have to be willing to show up to be admonished. And then our actions, Galatians 2, there's a very interesting story of Paul and Peter, Cephas, Simon, same guy. And there was this, there was this issue happening. Peter was a, was a very loving people, very loving person to the Gentiles when he first showed up to this region. But then Jews started arriving. And what did he do? He started backing away. See, they had a huge division problem in the early church because they were trying to bring vastly different cultures of people together into one body. 
And I think similarly, we have some of the same challenges today as we try to bring people from all different walks of life and, and, and community and culture and all of that together. Well, they dealt with the same stuff. They have Jews and they have Gentiles. Peter, knowing who he's supposed to be, is ministering to the Gentiles until when? Until the Jews came around. It says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, this is Paul writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of some men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and separate himself, fearing those from the circumcision. Was Peter in the right? Of course not. What did it take in this situation for Peter to realize what he did? It took him being opposed to the face. We have it kind of easy now. We can text somebody if we have a problem. We don't even have to look them in the face. We can complain in their Facebook comments or whatever. But Paul had the courage to look at Peter in the eye and say, what you're doing is wrong. You're going to divide a church. But more importantly, I hope that Peter had the heart to listen and to change. And we hear about the success of, of the Galatian church later. I'm sure they had all kinds of issues. But if you don't know how to pull different people together into one body and unify them without that discrimination or whatever you want to call that, you're going to have an unsuccessful congregation. The only way that this issue was going to be solved was, one, if Paul was willing to say something, and two, if Peter was willing to listen. So when it comes to responding to correction... Here's just a few thoughts. James 1.19, here's the basic first thing I think we need to remember. To be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Listen. Just listen. Someone's thoughts, someone's perception may not always be correct, but it could be because you're just a person too. Okay, so it's 50-50 shot. Listen. Be slow to speak, slow to anger. We know that scripture is profitable for rebuke. So are you being brought scripture? Or are you being brought a preference, right? Those are, those are some things to be, be considered. If someone's coming at you with scripture, rebuking you with scripture inspired by God, is it really them that's making you mad when you respond hatefully to that, to that confrontation? Or is it the word of Christ that has pricked your heart? Those are things to consider. 1 Corinthians 6, 7, actually then is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits one with another. Why not rather suffer the wrong? So here's the next step. If somebody's wrong, if there's no repentance needed and somebody just has a problem with you, why do we have lawsuits in the church? Is the, why do we have court issues, so to speak? Why are we having contention? Can't we occasionally just suffer the wrong, and brush it off, and move on for the sake of unity? That's the next step, maybe, if, if, uh, if you think maybe the person's wrong. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 20 and 22, puts some of this into perspective. Indeed, there's not a righteous person on earth who always does good and does not ever sin. Also, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken so that you do not hear your servant cursing you, for you know that even you have cursed others many times as well. 
So maybe somebody just has a problem with you. But are you that perfect? Again, it comes back to self-reflection. And then they could be right. Okay, so keep that in mind. We have to be willing to heed correction. Romans 12.3 says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Sound judgment is what we want. We want to be able to take criticism, take it well, and apply it where it needs to be applied, but that's only going to happen if you don't think too highly of yourself because you have problems too. At the end of the day, it's a cycle. With wisdom, we teach and admonish one another. That takes someone willing to say something, and that takes someone willing to be admonished. So now on to the next phase. When it comes to challenging each other, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, it says, if one part of the body suffers, we're talking about the body of Christ, all the parts suffer with it. If a part is honored, all the parts rejoice with it. So think back to any time you've hurt any part of your body, any type of injury, and we've used this example several times over the last several weeks. When I injured my knee, my left knee eventually started hurting because I was compensating or overcompensating on my left side, right? When one member hurts, everything else has to pick up the slack. But in the church, when somebody is rejoicing, we get to rejoice with them. So before anything else, I want to talk about unilateral training. Unilateral resistance training is any strength training exercise that involves only one limb at a time. So again, we're talking about looking at yourself. Well, there's, there's an interesting phenomenon that happens. When I work out my right arm, there's a certain amount of muscle growth and strength growth, growth that happens. But actually, my left arm grows a little bit too. It's very interesting because your mind wants to balance your body out, right? So general advice is going to sound like this. Research demonstrates the benefits that training an uninjured limb, uh, sorry, demonstrates the benefits that training an uninjured limb can have on the injured limb. When you are injured, it's important that you continue with a structured strength training program as your recovery outcomes are better. So here's, here's my point. If you have a suffering member, does it help? for you to stop holding yourself to a standard. I would argue that that's very unbeneficial and, in fact, very damaging. But if you focus on yourself first, then you can start to bring that other member along with you. So if you see a suffering brother or sister, whether it's they're suffering in spirit, they have a lack of knowledge, or maybe their actions are straight up wrong, the first thing you have to do is look at yourself. Each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well as what we're told in Galatians 6. So examine yourself. Do what you need to do to restore, restore maybe, but continue your relationship with God. That can be an encouragement to the person next to you. And like we're told in Matthew uh, chapter 7, do not judge that you will not be judged. We love quoting this part, but we don't read the rest. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Very insane imagery, right? 
But imagine me sitting here with a whole stick out my right eye, and I'm going to Timothy saying, your contact's crooked. That's silly. I need to get the stick out of my eye so that then I can worry about everybody else's vision. But you're going to be blinded to your own life and your own faults if you don't look at yourself first. Then we can move on to compound exercise. Compound resistance training is made up of strength training exercises that involve mirrored limbs working together. That would be right arm and left arm working together, right leg and left leg working together. I think before we ever get to the confrontation thing, what's important is that we're working together, spending time together as a unit to strengthen each other. Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, it says, Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as is the habit of some people, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. How much credibility are you going to have if you start trying to correct somebody, but you're never here? How much credibility, how, much, how well is somebody going to listen to you when you correct them on their character, but you don't know them? Turn it around. How would you respond? How do you respond when someone who doesn't know the first thing about you starts to criticize your character? It gets brushed off. So before we can worry about correcting anybody, we have to examine ourselves. We have to spend time and build relationships with people. And then we can move on to correction. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. And I keep repeating a phrase, and I want to be clear that you have to look at yourself This is not the look within yourself and follow your heart and be your true self. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying look at yourself and compare yourself to Christ before you compare yourself to anybody else. That is the head of the body, and that is who we are to grow into. And then verse 6, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Growth of the body of Christ, is that growth of number? Hopefully. I hope we're 200 members soon and then 500 members after that. Is it strength in faith? Is it strength in relationship? I think it's all of the above. And that only happens when each part is willing to do their part. And when we compound that together, a lot of growth can happen. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 14 to people. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for other people. Examine yourself and then be willing to put others first. Be a servant. Be a part. There's always opportunities to do good in the world. Find them and bring your brothers and sisters along. Then we get on to correction. Luke chapter 17, verse 3, it says, Be on guard if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So seven is the cap. If any of you come to me an eighth time, that's it. No, I don't think that's the heart. The heart is 
Be hard on yourself, examine yourself, and then be ridiculously merciful with others. Be willing to forgive, examine yourself. Like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, I just love it. Don't act like you haven't cursed other people's names. And then back to Proverbs 27. The faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, I think about uh, challenges that College Park Church of Christ has faced. I think back to COVID. It was a weird time. You know, we look back on it, and it seems like the whole thing was silly now, but at the time, it was scary. People were worried. People were dying. Our healthcare workers here were worried. They were zipping several body bags a day, and nobody knows what's happening. And through that process, through that next year or two, churches closed their doors because people fell apart, because they weren't together. And I think about how tough of a challenge that was for me. And don't get me wrong, it can get a lot worse. But those congregations who couldn't make it through that, do you think that COVID was the problem? Do you think the separation for a time was the problem? Or do you think maybe there was iron sharpening and relationship building that could have happened prior that would have prepared them for the war? Does that make sense? And I think to the future, I don't know what persecution may exist in the future. I don't know what temptations you may face in the next couple weeks. I don't know what lives we'll lose and what trials of life we have to go through. But if we're not willing to work together daily on the small stuff and sharpen our iron, then we will not be ready for the war. Before we wrap up, I, had, I came up with six questions that I sent um, to four, peop- uh, four or five people. I sent it to three athletic trainers and two pastors who may or may not be members of this congregation. And I wanted to see the answers to the exact same questions from an athletic trainer's perspective and how that, that course corresponds with the physical body and then what my pastors would say about how it affects the church body. So my first question was, what effects do resistance training have on the body? I had to give a little bit of context to the pastors who didn't know what resistance training was and how that would correlate uh, to the church body. Iron sharpening iron. And here are, the, here are the answers, basically, that I got. On your physical body, increased strength, increased muscle mass, increased cognitive function, increased bone density, increased coordination, and increased lifespan. It's a lot of benefits. Church body, more mentor and mentee relationships, increased focus on the mission at hand, more work done with more participation. So I think to what Paul said about physical training and spiritual training, right? It's not that there's no benefits, but it's far outweighed by what that means for your life. When you have a proper mentor Uh, kind of relationship in your life. You can disciple under somebody, let's say. There's so much to be learned. Is that person perfect? Is that person Jesus? No, we're not trying to conform into their image. But I believe it's Romans 12 that says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Find those sorts of people. Find those mentors in your life. As a church, our mission is to save souls. 
And when you have people who are willing to build each other up and constantly challenge each other to be better, we are going to be better at that mission. More work done with more participation. Uh, what's the saying? Many hands make light work, right? My second question, I'm new to this. What's the process? Physical body, growing in strength is a gradual process. Prioritizing consistency and receiving proper guidance from experienced lifters will allow you to maximize your results with minimal injury. And then the words progressive overload came coming up, or kept coming up. What progressive overload means is that it's not necessarily about the number of pounds that you're lifting, it's that you're lifting more than you did a couple weeks prior, right? So that over time, you reach whatever goal you've got. If I have a very ambitious goal of squatting 500 pounds, which I almost guarantee you is never gonna happen, uh, it's definitely not gonna happen tomorrow. It's gonna happen through hitting the 400 mark and then the 425 and then the 450 and so on. Well, similarly, I, I got some some answers on the, on the church body. Building relationships with those wiser than you will provide opportunity to learn and grow. Relationships with peers provide accountability and encourage good decision-making over time. And over time, members will grow in knowledge, wisdom, faith, and love. One pastor I visited with very specifically said, I, I just don't know that it's about how much weight or how much knowledge or how much whatever a person has or can carry, it's more about I want to see my members be better than they were yesterday and last year, and I want to see growth over time. My third question, how do you handle strength imbalances in the body? We've got people from different walks of life, different spiritual uh, knowledge, scriptural knowledge. How do you handle that? Well, on the physical side, imbalances are identified by one side being stronger than the other, like your right arm being stronger than your left. Identify your weak side and bring it up to the same standard of form and technique as your strong side. Notice, it doesn't say just lift the same amount of weight as your strong side and, and they'll be equally as strong. Well, that's a process. You have to get your form and your technique and your regimen in place and eventually those balances will even out. But on the church side, Here's some of the answers I got. Spend time in prayer for those struggling. So when we have a new member show up who's brand new to all of this, how much time in prayer do we spend for them? Because this is a lot to walk into. When somebody is in a rough season in their life, how much time in prayer do we spend on their behalf that they get through it and, and eventually we can see them on the other side of that? Identify the source of the imbalance. I thought this answer was very interesting. Is it stagnation? Is it wounded relationships? Is it lack of encouragement? Is it lack of guidance? You know, so just to say, oh, a weak member is a little bit unfair. What is that person going through? Because if they have damaged relationships, that's where you start. If they just have a lack of spiritual understanding, scriptural understanding, then you start by teaching them Bible, right? Promote relationship building so that no one is left unencouraged. I liked that answer. Because if we have relationships all through all those different walks of life, life and seasons of life, then in theory, nobody is going to be left without encourage, encouragement and admonishment. Fourth question, what role, play, or what role does mindset play? The physical body, an attitude willing to be challenged and push harder is essential to achieving maximum progress and strength training. That's kind of common sense. If you show up not really wanting to lift weight, you're probably never going to get stronger, right? Well, on the spiritual side, basically the answer was, oh, it's really important. 
And I said, expound. So here's what I got. Mental determination, humility, and coachability are essential to Christian growth. And then there was a reference to Philippians 5.2 that we want to have the same mind as Christ. Christ endured a lot for us for a goal. If we have that same mind in us that we're willing to endure whatever we have to endure and push each other through whatever we have to push through, then we will reach the reward in heaven someday. Number five, how do you know when a member is lifting enough weight? On the physical body, when a muscle group is trained properly, it should become sore enough to need rest, but not so sore that it can no longer sustain a training program. Over periods of time, the amount of growth seen will determine how well each muscle group is being trained, right? Results speak for themselves. Well, when it comes to the church body, it's not generally a question of how much weight is being carried, how much scripture a member knows, or how much they participate in the church. It is essential, however, to see consistent growth in all of these areas, but most importantly, in their faith and love for God and their love for their fellow man. Number six, is it possible for a member to be overtrained? So on the physical side, overtraining occurs when someone attempts to lift too much weight volume for the selected body part to lift on its own. This can damage or even injure the member, causing your training schedule to be put on hold until the injury or damage is properly addressed and recovered. On the spiritual side, it it took a little bit to, to get an answer on this because both pastors I talked to, at their first initial answer was, is it possible to be overtrained in spirituality? Is it possible to overdo Bible, right? But then, through conversation, I got answers like this. As Jethro said to Moses in Exodus 18, the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. If a member is feeling burned out or overburdened with the weight they carry, it may be a sign that they're not sharing enough of the load with their fellow saints. So that applies for struggles you're going through personally, work that we do in the church. We've got to share the load. And if you're not willing to share the load and you try to do it on your own, eventually you may become burned out. Eventually you may wither away. And that's the rest that Mario talked about. Rest is important. All of those sorts of things. But you have to balance your life in such a way, and the church has to be balanced in such a way that the load is shared and that nobody's doing it alone. Romans 8, uh, verses 15 through 18. None of you are going to be surprised to see me bringing up this verse. It's been on my mind a lot recently. It says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are adopted into a wonderful family. I don't know what biological family you have. I don't know what background you have. I don't know what support system is available to you, but I promise you it doesn't get better than the body of Christ. And that's why we're doing this series. We want a tight-knit community of people that are building each other up, pushing each other to be better, but that doesn't happen if we don't examine ourselves, be available and present for admonition, and then be willing to push each other. I appreciate your time this morning. I don't know the state of anybody's life here. I don't know 
what struggles you may be going through, what sin problems you may have, but one thing is for sure, all of us have all of those things at times. All of us need encouragement. All of us need a family. If you don't have a family this morning, we want to welcome you in. And if you're a part of this family and you're suffering alone, isolation is so dangerous. Don't do it. Share the load. Come forward while we stand and sing the song. We'll be happy to assist you. Thanks for joining our sermon series podcast today. For more, check us out on YouTube or come worship with us on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings.